You are listening to the Business Accelerator Program, a podcast brought to you by Lou Hutt and the Hutt Company. Hello, everyone. This is Lou Hutt. Welcome to Business Accelerator 1.0. This is the first of a series of podcasts in which we're going to talk about strategies for success. We want to focus primarily in this first and initial podcast broadcast on the kind of obstacles and challenges that are generic to every business. You know, when I uh, put together uh, this entire program, I was very mindful of some statistics that seem to dominate any discussion about small and entrepreneurial businesses. The first, of course, which you're probably familiar with, is the uh, general report, both issued by the Small Business Administration and others, that two in ten businesses only last five years. That's two in ten. So that makes the odds for success, if you will, uh, not as strong, not nearly as strong as we would like. That means that, frankly, we've got to be on our game. We've got to understand why it is that these businesses, essentially 80% of them, fail in that time frame. Well, let's first talk about the four key reasons. One is unprepared or ineffective management. Two, lack of business capital. Three, unprofitable growth. And four, lack of cash flow. Let me take each one of these separately and just give you my take. Unprepared or ineffective management. Well, that's a very general concept, but in my mind, what that simply means is that we have not mapped out a route and an alternative route to get to the destination. In most companies, to sustain the business, at some point, we have to generate profit. And we'll be talking in other podcasts about how you measure profit in terms of financial statements and how you calculate it. But for the time being, let me just say that profit is simply the amount of revenue in excess of direct cost. So if we think about manufacturing a widget, and in our minds we realize that a widget costs, not only in our minds, but in terms of the vendors that we have to uh, interact with. Perhaps we've got to buy some materials from this vendor, another from this vendor. And then it takes an hour of someone's time to put together the widget. With all those factors weighed in, we might come to the conclusion that the direct cost for manufacturing a widget will be $2. That sets the basic threshold. So in order for us to generate profit, we've got to sell that widget for at least $2. In fact, to generate a profit, we've got to go $2 plus. And if you're mindful of the fact that 
at least in this example, I've only talked about direct costs. We also have indirect costs. We've got overhead. We've got insurance. We've got uh, rent. Uh, we've got uh, communications, telephone. So we've got another of other costs that weigh into uh, the determination of whether or not we can make a profit by manufacturing widgets. The, the goal, the objective of management, and I said this in our very first introductory session during the webinar, is that the CEO, the leader of the business, has to be the chief financial strategist. So you as the leader of the business have to figure out a technique, a formula, a method for achieving a profit that will not only cover, or revenues that will not only cover those direct costs, but also sufficient revenue to cover those indirect costs like insurance, rent, telephone, etc. So to me, the first test of effective management is being able to develop, formulate a profit model. So we've got to take a business concept, whether it's manufacturing widgets, whether it's selling houses, whether it's, frankly, flipping burgers. We've got to come up with a pricing model. We've got to come up with some estimate of direct cost, and then we've got to budget our indirect cost. Effective management means that you're on top of that. It also, frankly, means that you have an eye on new business opportunities. You know, if, if we can't sell the widget, if we don't have enough people to buy the widget, if we're not packaging it in a way that's attractive, then clearly we're not going to reach our destination. The second point I mentioned in terms of top reasons for business failure is lack of business capital. Well, I want to focus not so much on uh, the absence of money, but I want to focus on the fact that too often we as business leaders don't know exactly how much capital we need to move the business forward. In other words, we know we have a good sense of, of the process for manufacturing the widgets. We've, we've tested uh, the demand. We know that there are customers or people in the public who are willing to buy the widget for the price that, uh, that we have uh, decided upon. We've, we've gone out to various uh, other vendors, so to speak, like uh, we figured out how much we'd have to pay for rent, how much space we need, what the insurance costs would be. We've got all that mapped out. However, we determined that in order to jumpstart this business, we need some money. And that therein is the major question. How much money do we need? So if we're going to be effective as, a, as the chief financial strategist, we have to determine how much capital is needed in order to launch and sustain the business, particularly during the ramp-up stage. 
So lack of business capital from day one all the way up to that ramp-up point where we reach normality. For some businesses, that can be three months, six months, nine months. It could be in some tech businesses as much as three, four, or five years. We've got to map that out. Again, reasons for business failure, top reasons, ineffective management, lack of business capital. Thirdly, unprofitable growth. Now, you hear me talk about this throughout this course because there is a distinction between growth, meaning more business that's helpful, and growth, more business that's unhelpful. Give you an example. You get an opportunity. And again, let's go back to the widget example. You get a call from Walmart. Walmart says, listen, we're going to buy 10,000 widgets. We're going to give you the biggest order that you could have ever imagined. You're thrilled about this new potential opportunity. Here's the problem. Walmart wants to buy at $1.90. And remember, we already decided, just, and we know, we've calculated that our actual cost, direct cost, are $2. If we were to take on Walmart as a customer, with the deal parameters being set at $1.90 per widget, clearly, that would be an example of unprofitable, detrimental growth. You might say to be effective as a leader, you have to know your bottom line. I have to know exactly how much I need to sell my product or service in order to cover my direct cost and hopefully be at a point where it's more than my direct cost sufficient to contribute to my indirect cost. So if Walmart... And I negotiated, and Walmart and I decided, oh, well, well if you won't sell it to us for $1.90, would you consider $2.10? Now it seems to me we have room for discussion. But again, to be an effective leader, I've got to be at that table with the right information calculated to allow me to be successful in those negotiations. And if they result frankly, in a, uh, an impasse where we are below $2, this may be a deal that I simply have to walk away from. Fourth reason, top reasons for business failures. And we have to study this so that as leaders, as CEOs, we can navigate these problems. The fourth reason, lack of cash flow. Lack of cash flow little bit different than trying to measure profit. When we talked about profit, we said, what can you sell the widget for? What are the direct costs? And the goal was to generate, at least on paper, enough of a profit to cover indirect cost. And if we're successful, our profit, so to speak, is greater than indirect cost, so we really have dollars that hit the bottom line. 
Well, that's a little different than cash flow. Because cash flow is predicated on timing. It's predicated on when certain expenditures have to be made. Give you a quick example. Insurance. Typically, when you take out an insurance policy, whether it's errors and omission or it's malpractice or it's uh, property and casualty, the payment has to be made before the policy goes into effect. So, even if you have coverage of 12 months, that payment has to be made in month one. Now, that can create a problem because in month one, you haven't sold one single widget. And think about this. Say your first sale of the widget doesn't occur until month two. But, of course, you've got the insurance payment. You may have a, a security deposit that has to be made on your office space. Uh, you certainly have to buy some amount of supplies. You may even have to get uh, 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 your phones installed. And I know now uh, most of our communications are uh, uh, with mobile phones. But even if it's mobile phones, you've got some equipment requirements that have to be addressed in month one. So you haven't sold the widget until month two, but you got all these costs. That, ladies and gentlemen, presents the dilemma that we faced in, in terms of managing cash flow. It's timing. It's trying to synchronize receipts, collections to disbursements. Now, as a practical matter, most companies have some variance. There's some deviation that's normal. And frankly, what we've got to be in a position to do is to fill that void, fill that gap. A lot of times we do that through capital. Sometimes we do it through lines of credit at a bank. But one way or the other, as the CEO, we have to be prepared to address this issue. Again, four reasons, main reasons, businesses fail in the first few years of operation, ineffective management, lack of business capital, unprofitable growth, and lack of cash flow. Now, let's just step back a little bit and take each one of these to a little deeper, uh, a deeper level. Let's dive a little bit deeper into each one of these. When it talked about ineffective management, what does that really mean? What is the job? What is the job? The job is what? The job is that we must lead. That's right. We've got to lead. Now, what does that mean in uh, 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 some concrete terms? One is that means we have to plan. Number two, that means that we have to uh, sketch out a roadmap. And a lot of times when people talk about business and business planning, they, they, they get hung up because they think they've got to have a 20-page business plan. And the reality is you could actually 
map out a route on the back of a napkin. It's almost that simple. Now, depending on the sophistication of your business, obviously you may need more than a napkin. But the bottom line is we got to go from point A to point B. And it is a function, largely, of planning. The other role that is important in the context of planning is we have to prepare ourselves to exercise some oversight of a business. Now, what do I mean by that? You have to think, what are the checks and balances that I need along the way to make sure that I'm not getting off course? One tool that's helpful are budgets. Another tool, and it's a form of a budget, is a cash flow projection. Another form of a control would be a sales forecast. Now, what do all of these things have in common? They're forecasting future activity. They're putting you as the leader in a position to identify at any point activity that's off course and hopefully to be in a position to make adjustments to get that activity back on course. I mean, think about running this business. There's so many variables, so many things that can go off course. And if you're performing the service, you're helping to deliver the product, um, you're involved in dispersing funds to vendors, you're thinking about the next customer, you've got all of those things going on simultaneously. If you don't have checks and balance, if you don't have uh, a compass to guide, to alert you to problems, to issues, they could go undetected for such a long period of time that they do irreparable harm. So, what am I saying in terms of being effective a manager? Number one, planning. Planning by habit. But number two, oversight. In between planning and oversight is another concept that I refer to as accountability. We've got to create standards of accountability in terms of our performance and then ultimately as we grow our business in terms of others that are hired or retained to assist us in operating our businesses. Think about, and let's go back to the idea of business capital. Because again, what we're trying to do now is dig a little deeper into some of these reasons that businesses fail. To be a chief financial strategist, which you are as a CEO, it is important to know what type of challenges, issues, and obstacles lay ahead to the extent that we can be proactive rather than reactive, our chances for success are a lot higher. So again, lack of business capital. Here's the challenge that every company faces, even if you are an existing business. Financiers, investors, bankers are reluctant 
to provide capital to a new company or provide capital to a business that is in operation but has not demonstrated a profit in the last one, two, or three years. So as small companies, as entrepreneurs, we're in an anemic stage. That is to say, we could make profit in one year, lose money in year two, make profit year three, and so have that kind of fluctuating bottom line, which is understandable when you're in the infancy and the developmental stage of a business. It's even understandable when you're a seasoned business, but you're undergoing some transformation. So while we understand the business proposition, the fact is when we deal with external parties like a bank, we deal with investors, they sort of discount the reasons, the, 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 the justifications, the explanations for that flex, fluctuation. So that's a challenge. That's something that we need to be aware of. That's something we need to be conscious of and prepared to address. And the key thing is what I said at the end, prepare to address. Think about this. As a business owner, what you have to do from day one, particularly if you're starting a business, is keep a diary. Keep a history. Because if you keep a diary and a history, you're able to tell the story. Two years into the game, if your capital requirements change and you need more capital or less capital, you're able to pull out that diary and explain to yourself as well as others what adjustments were necessary and why. When circumstances arose, how you addressed those circumstances, and perhaps how that has created a need for additional capital. Everybody wants the CEO to provide a historical context. So, Keep in mind, at the end of the day, you should have a clear record of your operations, both in terms of how many widgets you're selling, how, what your costs have been over that period of time, uh, uh, which costs have varied significantly from your original estimates, and that sort of thing, so that you can fill in the blanks. The other important thing in terms of capital is, of course, we need to identify the appropriate source of capital. You know, whenever you're talking about financing a business, you got to find compatible partners. Now, in my uh, brief overview here, I've referred to banks and investors. Well, we can try to pare that down a little bit. Who are we really talking about? Well, are we talking about, when we talk about banks, are we talking about community banks? Are we talking about large banks? Uh, who are we really talking about? Same thing with investors. Well, what do we mean by investors? Are we talking about family? Are we talking about friends? Are we talking about angel investors, people who maybe are based in Silicon Valley? Who are we talking about? Well, the reality is, folks, it depends. It de depends upon how much money we need. 
It depends on what our business history is. And it also depends on our growth trajectory. Hmm. If we're talking about manufacturing widgets, say at a level of a thousand, then we're probably not talking about the Silicon Valley folks. But if we have a vision of manufacturing 10 million widgets at some point, five years, 10 years down the road, then maybe the Silicon Valley folk is the target financing partner. If we're in a business, it's a service enterprise. Now, it could be law, it could be uh, accounting, it could be dentist, it could be dentistry, it could be medicine, where the business is sustainable, but frankly, the the growth trajectory is not enormous. In that case, uh, if we were dealing and looking for a bank, we could probably go with either a large bank or a community bank. Step back. Let's say that we are starting off with a business that quite frankly, is not as proven. There's a new product. We have a proof of concept we've gone through and we've, you know, basically established there's a demand for this product, et cetera, et cetera, but it's new. It, it, it hasn't hit the market before. It's a new technology. Who is more likely to be the compatible financing partner? Frankly, Initially coming out of the blocks, it may be the friends. It may be family. It may be people who are more apt than not to have confidence in the concept. So the selection of a financing partner is a critical element to securing adequate capital to operate the business. Again, we're digging a little deeper into those four top reasons that businesses fail in the first three to five years of operation. We also mentioned unprofitable growth. Let's dig a little deeper into what we mean. I alluded to early on in this discussion about underpriced goods and services. I use the example of Walmart. Offering to purchase your widgets for under the $2 minimum that it costs you to make and manufacture the widgets. Services are no different. So if you're in uh, elder care, if you're in the business of a nursing home, funeral services. You can think of a variety of situations involving services. You have to be as meticulous about quantifying the cost of units of service as you would be if you were selling widgets. 
In other words, we have to work together. And I say we because at this point, I think what an effective manager, effective CEO understands is some of these ideas you may not be able to implement by yourself. So you may lean on the expertise of your CPA because there are some aspects of this that you can kind of conceptually map out. But in terms of the, the quantification of this information, it may be a little difficult. So you, you're a feeder. You help your team understand the steps that are required to deliver this service all of the direct and incidental costs so that there can be, at some point, an idea of what the cost of a unit of service is, just like you would have if you were selling a widget. Because we know that if we have goods or services that are underpriced, then any growth that we sustain will be counterproductive. The other thing that can bother and, and, and really hamper under the same heading of growth is when the deal, and go back to the Walmart deal, where they're going to buy a million in widgets. They're going to buy a million widgets. They say they're going to buy it at $2.25. You're happy. You're thrilled. Got a profitable situation. Got enough to cover your direct costs, and at a million, you're going to have enough excess to cover your indirect costs and ultimately make a very handsome profit on paper. But the reality is that you, have, you don't, may not have the systems. You may not have the staff. You may not have the equipment to address such a large order. This is another example of unprofitable, counterproductive growth. In other words, just because you have the opportunity to participate in a deal that is kind of beyond your wildest dreams, just because you have that opportunity doesn't mean that you take it. In fact, those may be the ones that you back away from. There's some virtue in gradually building up a business, it allows you to, frankly, rid systems of problems. It allows you to train your staff appropriately. It, 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 it puts you in a position to control the quality of the product or service. And so every deal, even if it's this mammoth opportunity may not be the right deal. So unprofitable growth is not only when you're underpricing a product or service, but when you're moving into a zone where you don't have sufficient infrastructure. So it can be destructive. A lot of reasons, practical reasons, that companies do not survive even when they're making sales hand over fist. Lack of cash flow. We mentioned that earlier. Lack of cash flow 
is tied to policies. Now, in some businesses, in a a good many businesses, there's a, a billing process. And the billing and collection occur at different points in the cycle. So a customer comes in, uh, we perform a service, uh, we bill the customer. Depending on who the customer is in the terms of the contract, the customer pays over the counter or the customer pays within 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days. How we formulate that payment policy largely determines our pattern of cash flow. Now, it is easy to say you should set very strict and very aggressive payment terms. That's easy to say, but it's not always realistic. The fact is that you have competition. And if someone says, hey, listen, You know, I've been dealing with ABC Company. And as a matter of fact, not only ABC, but CDF and others who have extended generous payment terms of 30, 60, 90 days. If you will, if you're going to insist on cash on delivery, that's a problem. In other words, go back to the Walmart example. Here's the deal. Walmart's going to buy your product. They're going to buy the product for $2.25. The widget, you're thrilled to death. You think you're going to be able to, for lack of a better word, force Walmart to pay on delivery? I don't think so. More likely than not, you're going to have to build Walmart on terms. Now, can you put in some incentives like, 2% discount if you pay within 10 days? Yes. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. But the reality is, in many cases, it's 2% if paid within 10 days, but the payment of the invoice term is 30 days. So we know in terms of managing cash flow that we really have to give some thought to the collection cycle. If you're a business, for example, that does services and you're paid by a third party, so and you're paid by an insurance company, well, you've got to factor in the uh, that claims have to be submitted. There's possibility that the insurer can make adjustments and you have to clarify information. So even though theoretically the third party payor commits to paying within 30 days, the average may be 45 because of the things that I've mentioned. All of those factors have to be weighed and budgeted for to ensure that your business has sufficient cash flow throughout the course of a year. Give you another quick example. You're in a business that's seasonal. And from, I don't know, from May all the way to September, You're making money hands over fist. Those widgets are just selling because everybody's using widgets at that time. You get to the fall, late fall and winter months, and it just falls off. It just slows down completely. 
Those are circumstances that we have to take into account as financial leaders. Now, people would say, listen, what's the solution? Well, there may be a variety of possibilities. I would say that the innovative folks are going to try and think about ways to utilize their capacity during those down periods. And what do you say, utilize the capacity? I mean, who knows? And I'm going to throw this out. Maybe you sublet some of your space during those down periods to generate additional income. Maybe you, 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 you offer your, uh, your facilities for use by, uh, if not a competitor, a use by someone else that is in a business that peaks during the same period that your business goes into a lull. Now, ideally, ideally, frankly, what I'd like to see you do, and, and this may take a lot of thought, is figure out what do we do in our business in this industry that's transferable to another industry that we can cultivate and build and grow so that during our down period of our primary segment of business, we can do this other line of business so that we, in, in essence, find a way to cover the gap. This is all part of what we think about in terms of strategies for managing cash flow. Got to think about the billing policies, as I mentioned before, the collection. And by the way, screening is important. We got to take a look at what is the credit worthiness of customers. Some customers, frankly, uh, we've got to be careful and cautious about. Maybe they don't have a credit history. Well, as a small company, can we afford to, to, to be on the hook for 500,000 widgets and not get paid? Is that Would that cause total ruin? If it would, then we have to be very cautious about extending credit without first vetting out the credit worthiness of a new customer. A lot of factors to weigh when we begin to talk about managing cash flow. But it starts with policies. It, it, start, it starts with an understanding of our business model and an understanding of our customer. Our goal is to collect as soon as possible. The customer's goal is to pay as late as possible. So there's a little bit of a natural uh, adverse interest. And our goal, again, as a CEO, is to find a way, strategically, practically, and technically, to keep the ball in our court as much as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, we've spent some time in this podcast talking about the underlying reasons a good many, a good many businesses fail. I want you to have that understanding. I want you to fix it in your mind. I want, you, I want you to meditate on this because for the next five weeks, we're going to be introducing tools and techniques designed to help you overcome and manage these special circumstances. They're threatening. And I want you to be successful. I want you to overcome them and manage them appropriately. 
This is Lou Hutt. This is Podcast 1.0 of the Business Accelerator Program. I will be your coach and your advisor for the next five weeks. Thank you, and I look forward to our next conversation. Good night. Thank you for listening, and enjoy your success. Thank you.